Good morning. Thank you, Sarah, for you and your team. Wonderful worship here this morning. First, I want to thank uh, Pastor Theo for allowing me the opportunity to fill in here this morning. Be, please be keeping him and Sister Randy in prayer as they travel back. I think they come back uh, tomorrow, so let's uh, remember them. And first of all, I just want to start apologizing in advance to everybody. I have not stood in a pulpit to preach for 10 years this, uh, this summer, and Boy, there's a lot of ministry that's built up over the years. I'm going to try real hard just not to dump it all on you this morning. So <laughs> I already got in trouble with John Crisp when I walked in this morning because I kind of made some changes like late last night and I sent him a final draft over, I don't know, 8.30, 9.30, maybe later. So I got in trouble already for that this morning. <laughs> so how many fishermen do we have here this morning? Raise your hand. A few. All right, very good. How many of you would consider yourself really good fishermen? Anybody professional status? Okay, good. I'm on safe ground. I asked that because probably like one of the first churches I stood in, I preached. I thought it'd be great. I preach a sermon about planting and sowing seed, and I made the mistake not knowing I was in a farming community, and uh, I got a lot of people upset with me. In fact, Matt, Mike, after church, they came up with me, up to me and said, hey, you need to know we do more than just drop seed in the ground. And, and I thought God did all the work and, and made it grow. So I wanted to make sure I understood my audience this morning and uh, who I was, in fact, uh, speaking to. So full disclosure, I am not a professional fisherman. However, I do uh, enjoy going out and fishing. And as a teenager... I spent a lot of my summers in the uh, neighborhoods, uh, in the ponds, in the rivers, lakes, streams, pretty much wherever I could, could find to, uh, to throw a line. And, uh, but I never seemed to develop the right uh, skill sets, as it were, to become a really, really good fisherman. You know, things like it's important to know when to go fishing and how to fish. That's, that, that helps a lot. Where to fish, uh, what type of bait to use. Um, whether you use a jig or a spinner, uh, all kinds of, of different things like that. So I simply determined at a young age I had better fish to fry, and I just move on, kind of pun intended there. So, uh, But here in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, as well as Luke, uh, we find Jesus uh, reaching out to, to his uh, disciples, and we're going to look at the full story in Luke, but in in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Peter simply says, or Jesus says to Peter, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. But if you have your Bibles, look in the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapters one, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to read here this morning together. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gessen, Gesinerat, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats and one belonging to Simon and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets. For a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am, sinful. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished for a catch of fish they had taken. And so, we were, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid from now. You will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to shore and left everything and followed him. Now, I love this story in the Bible because I can relate pretty easily. I fished all night and literally caught nothing. Um, and just uh, in the story, uh, we see that's what happened to Peter. And 
Peter was likely tired. He'd been awake all night um, and, like us, probably hungry. And uh, he was ready to go home. He's ready to uh, pack it up, call it, call it a, a morning, I guess, since he'd been out all night. And uh, we find him there on the edge of the, the shore. They were, they were cleaning their nets. And here Jesus comes along, preaches a sermon, and then says to Peter, let's go back out and fish again. I love Peter's response here in this text. Now, we give Peter a, a hard time as Bible teachers when we're, when we're talking about Peter because, you know, he's kind of quick to speak, uh, kind of rash at times, you know, doesn't necessarily always think before he acts. And I confess, I, like a lot of other pastors, we, we highlight those things in Peter's life, but, but right here, I love Peter's response. Even though he'd fished all night, even though they had caught nothing, he says to Jesus, but because you say so, I will let down my nets. Now, we'll talk about Peter's attitude a little bit later uh, in the text, but um, I just, I really, really like that. Like I said, we give him a hard time for a lot of the, the other things um, that he says, and uh, we, we kind of forget how quick he was to be obedient to, uh, to the master. So I want to look at this uh, text this morning, and we're going to talk in general, as I titled the message, uh, about fishing, learning how, how to fish. I want to look at another passage real quick, and that comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 19. And Jesus says to his disciples and those that were out just prior before he ascends up to the Father, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. Jesus' last instruction to his followers were to go and make disciples. This is not a suggestion, but rather something every believer is called to do. If you've accepted Jesus Christ at any point in your life as your Lord and your Savior, then Jesus is speaking to you this morning. You are called, I am called, to go and make disciples. However, let's be honest this morning. Very, very few of us do this. Very few of us are fishers of men. And maybe it's just simply because we don't know how. It's just like fishing. Many of us might enjoy going on the occasional outing, we don't, but we don't possess the skill sets to be a professional. Why? Perhaps we were never discipled by others, or the church we were a part of in the past, maybe they didn't make discipleship a priority. Perhaps the modern church has, provided, has not provided proper training in discipleship. We can see in the life of Jesus, when looking at his disciples, this process took time. And he poured into his disciples, not just one time, but day after day after day, over the course of the three years that he ministered. Teaching them, showing them, praying for them. It's a process. It's hard work. The Barna Research Group did a survey back in 2018 which showed that over the last 25 years of ministry, the attitude of most congregations was that evangelism and discipleship was the responsibility of the local church leaders. They said that in 1993, 89% of believers believed that everyone had a personal responsibility to share their faith. Today, that number has dropped to just 64%. Today, my hope is to encourage you and to equip you so that you can continue to be, so that we can continue to be a church engaged in the Great Commission. So that Brown's Chapel, or so that at Brown's Chapel, our numbers involved in discipleship and evangelism is increasing instead of decreasing like many others. I truly love Pastor Theo and Sister Randy's heart in this area. They believe in discipleship. They promote it. They are engaged in it. 
they understand how it is, how important it is for the future of the church. I remember being in college, one of my, one of my professors said, the church is always one generation from going extinct. Now I'll confess, I didn't understand what he meant at first. Then it dawned on me one day. I'm usually the last horse to the trough. I'm a little slow sometimes at, at these things, uh, especially with technology. I'm always a decade behind uh, on what's going on there. So, uh, but I'll confess, I didn't understand it. Donald, in other words, it is up to the present generation to teach the next generation so that constantly sharing one person to the other, or we're teaching them about Jesus Christ. When it comes to discipleship and evangelism, the first place to start is here in uh, Matthew chapter 28, but not verse 19 like I read this morning. We need to actually go back one verse. Pastor Theo reminds us often when you see the word therefore in the Bible, what's he say? You've got to ask why is it there? What's it there for? So we go back to the previous verse. A pastor friend of mine named Daryl Bowden preached a sermon on this, just this one passage, verse 18 once, and he entitled his sermon, The Great Omission, because we omit this verse a lot when we talk about the Great Commission. But in verse 18, Jesus says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. We are told that, because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, now we can go forth and make disciples. We're not told to go on our own strength. We're not told to go on our own talents, our own powers, or our own gifts. In fact, going on our own strength is a perfect way to fail. Jesus is the source of our power when it comes to discipleship. He is also the one who will open the doors for discipleship. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John that apart from him, we can do nothing. And also that the Comforter, or the Holy Spirit, will draw men unto himself. So it is by his authority, by Jesus' authority, that discipleship actually takes place. Jesus promised his followers in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, says, but, when, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The one who called us to make disciples tells us that all power has been given to him and then tells us that we shall receive this power when we too are filled with the Holy Spirit. He tells Peter, James, and John, I will make you disciples. This making takes place through the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen? All right, make sure you're still awake with me. <laughs> Christ has provided and will continue to provide all that we need to carry out his plan and his purposes for discipleship. All we need to do is move forward in that faith. So I want to look at a couple of different passages this morning, and we're going to overlay those. There's a lot of scripture in, in here this morning, but we're going to overlay those different passages with two accounts in the book of Acts this morning. And I hope that these will serve as real-life examples of, that are being played out. If you're like me, I learn by watching and doing. I love YouTube. I'll just, if I need to figure out how to do something, I'll go to YouTube and I'll, I'll watch different videos and so forth. That's, that's kind of how, how I learn. And I'm thankful that God not only tells us in his word, but he also then shows us what it looks like, and, and how to do it. So our point number one is we must be willing to leave our nets. We must be willing to leave our nets. After teaching the people, he said to Peter, put out into deeper water and let down your nets. It's important that we see that what Peter was doing. First of all, he was washing his nets. He was there on the side of the beach, and the Bible tells us that he was washing or he was cleaning his nets. 
Now, I've always fished with uh, fishing poles, so I've not uh, had the experience of, of using nets. Um, but so my knowledge kind of in this area is somewhat limited, but I have watched plenty of episodes of deadliest catch. And so they don't really use nets. They kind of use crates or boxes there. But the point is, is kind of the same. They had been out all night, and when they turned, returned and getting ready to pack up to go home, their nets needed to be cleaned. They needed to clean out the sticks and the leaves and the moss and all the other foreign matter that were in the nets so that they could fold them up and they would be ready to go out for a second time. This is called proper maintenance. These nets were their livelihood, and they needed to take care of these nets. So they were there putting a lot of effort into actually cleaning them. This maintenance is one of the reasons I will never be a professional fisherman. I am terrible at maintenance. I have a buddy of mine, uh, Tom Smith from Greenfield. Some of you may know him. But he said to me one day, Gary, you're terrible at maintenance. And, uh, and just ask Kathy. Usually things at my house get broke when, or get fixed when they're broke, not, uh, not ahead of time on, on proper, proper maintenance. But I'm learning. I'm getting a little better after a, a few years. But you can uh, pray for Kathy that I learn this lesson a little, little quicker. But after working all this time and cleaning the nets, Jesus asked him to go back out and put down the nets yet again. Peter was reluctant, but he did it anyway. And the result was amazing. There were so many fish, the boats began to sink. Then Jesus says something strange. Jesus says to Peter, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And then it tells us that Peter, James, and John all left their nets to follow Jesus. Now, when we looked at the Great Commission and it said, therefore, go, the verb go there literally means to go and then to continue to go to pursue the journey on which one has entered. That's according to Robert Hampshire at Christianity.com. In other words, we move forward, we depart from here, we depart from where we are, and we move along, and while we're in that process of moving along, we make disciples. It's a journey, and we're called to go on this journey. You might, uh, you might say it this way, as you live your life moving from here to there, Interacting with people in various places at various times make disciples. When Jesus asked Peter to follow him, he left his nets, his boat. James and John left their nets. James and John left their father. It's coming up on Father's Day here in a couple weeks, and I'll confess that section of the Bible has always just struck me strange. They left not just the boats, not just the nets, but left dad and the, the family business. And, and as a parent, that, that's always kind of bothered me a little bit. You know, what, what am I handing down this legacy to my children? But apparently uh, James and John's father was, was on board with this and encouraged them to, to go away. At least that's what I've heard from other pastors and breaking that down for us. But nonetheless, they're called to go. And to make disciples. As you live your life, as you go along from point A to point B, from birth to death, that little dash in the middle, live your life and make disciples. Fishing was Peter's life. In fact, after Peter's denial of Jesus at the crucifixion, we find Peter returning again to fishing. As though he returned to what he knew what was familiar to him. Thankfully for us, he didn't stay there. He got back to fishing for men. Jesus says, go and make disciples or come and follow me. Leave all of the other things behind. Seek first the kingdom of God. What do we do? What do we need to leave in order to do this for Jesus? What do the nets in our own life represent? When Bay Forrest was here a few months ago, and we went, the men, we went down to the other room there, and he shared a story with us. Now, it's no doubt, if you know who Bay Forrest was and you were here, you, you know he loves basketball. Would you agree with that? 
he, he spent his life playing ball. He still plays basketball. And, uh, but he shared with the men at that, me- that, that meeting that there was a period in his life for a few months. I don't remember him giving an exact time frame. But he said there was a period in his life where God asked him to give up basketball. And he had to stop playing for a period. Because God had spoken to his heart and, there, and, and as Bay tells it, they begin to find this love and this passion for basketball was beginning to overcome this love and this passion for the gospel. And he said he found his heart was changing when he was out on the court playing. He liked to trash talk. Now, he told us that. I'm not making that up. He told us that. And the Lord spoke to him and dealt with him about that, and he had to lay aside basketball for a season of time. And Peter laid aside his nets, him and James and John, and they left and they followed the Lord. Go and make disciples. If this is Jesus' command to us, and it is, why do so few people engage in discipleship and evangelism. In January 26th of this year, 2022, another article that the Barna Research Group did, they wrote that they said that only 28% of Christians are fully engaged in the discipleship community. And 39% are not engaged at all. So that remaining percentage there, I didn't do the math, but that remaining uh, little bit of percentage, they, they kind of are dabbling in it just a little bit. They do a little bit and they don't. But out of that whole uh, amount, only 5% of people were actually engaged in discipling others. So you have 28 per, 28% that are being engaged. They're going to some kind of event where they're actually being discipled, but only 5% are actually engaged in the discipleship of other people. That was shocking to me. So why do so few Christians get engage in the Great Commission? Maybe we just simply don't know how. Maybe we have overcomplicated it. That 5% scared me because I had to ask the question, that means that not even parents are discipling their own children. Surely in the church, more than 5% of the people have children. And if they do, then that means not even parents are in the process of discipling their own children. We've got to get that number up. And I think part of the reason why we find it right here in Luke chapter 5, in Peter's response when the boats are filled with fish, he says, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. It's kind of the same response that Isaiah had when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. He said, I'm an unclean man with unclean lips. He had the reality of who he was in comparison to who God is. And I think it's real easy for us to remember that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so when it comes time to tell other people about Jesus, we remember our sinfulness and who we are forgetting about who we are now in Christ. And so we don't want to go out there and tell people about Jesus because we remember who we are and who we were, rather, I should say, and all that stuff starts flooding back in. The evil one, the devil, reminds us, and the Bible says he's the accuser of the brethren, and he reminds us of our failures and where we've fallen short so that we don't disciple other people. Who am I? We say things like, well, what do I say? What if they ask me something I don't know? Who am I to share Christ? I'm not a pastor or church leader. We become like Moses all of a sudden. Lord, I don't speak well. Listen to Jesus' words. I will make you fisher of men. 
God loves you, and his desire is to make you fishers of men. In other words, he will supply what's needed. You don't have to pull it all together. You only have to be willing to be used, willing to go. Many of us, and I will confess, me too at times, find myself asking, well, what can I do? Who would listen to me? Even this week in preparing for the message, not having preached for a while, I was filled with self-doubt, insecurity, and wondered what could I share that would make any difference at all. No one there is interested in what I have to say. And you know what? I'm completely right. Because it's not what I have to say, is it? It's what does God's word say? What does the Holy Spirit have to say? It's not about what Gary says, but it's about what God said. Pastor Theo, when he prayed on Thursday night, he said, Gary, make sure you say, thus saith the Lord. <laughs> it's not about me. It's about what God says. It's not in my strength or my power or my gifts or my talents and I have no authority. Jesus is the source of our power. I am simply called to share my faith as I go along in life. Testifying to what God has done for me at times. And at times in spite of me. I'm not called necessarily to say what God wants to do in your life. And how God can change your life. I'm simply called to share what God has done in my life and how he has changed me. Called to leave my nets and go and make disciples. Point number two, fishing can be done alone but also together. When it comes to learning how to make disciples, we first look to Jesus himself. Jesus did most of his teaching by himself. It was he who healed the blind, the lame, and cast out demons. However, we also find in Scripture where he sent the disciples out in teams. As followers of Christ, we must be open to and willing, as the Holy Spirit leads, to do both. As we go through life, along, we move along. There are times where we are by ourselves and, our time, and the times that we are together. And we must be open to share our faith when nudged by the Holy Spirit, whether we are alone or in a group. I want to share two stories from the book of Acts that, remember earlier I said I learned by seeing and, and copying, so to speak. I want to share two stories that kind of highlight both of these, fishing in a group or together, but then also by yourself. First of all, in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, we find the story of James and John going up to the temple. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame with his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on them with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, and expecting to re receive something from them, then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. All of the people saw him praising God. Then they knew it was he who had sat begging for arms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder at what had happened to him. First of all, we see the word go there. They were on their way to the temple. Peter and John were going to the temple. They were in process. They were moving along in life. They were together on their way to the, going to the temple, and the Spirit of God presented them with an opportunity to minister. Ministry is exciting whenever it is done, whether there is something special about doing, but there's something special about doing ministry together. Being able to lock hands and lock arms together provides a source of strength. And let's face it, it's way easier to have courage as a group 
or with someone else. Fishing can and should be done together. Whether it's feeding the poor, caring for the widow, helping the homeless, when the body of Christ works together, the whole body receives the blessing. There is also safety in numbers. There are certain opportunities for ministry that would be silly to go alone. And God will use the safety of numbers to protect you. When I was at Indiana Wesleyan University my freshman year, I was introduced to a professor there who was the dean of the ministry department. I won't openly share his name because some people may know, but he was an institution at the university. He was an amazing communicator. I remember one day in one of our pastoral preaching classes, he had a huge whiteboard at the front of the church, and he went down the room. There was about 40 kids, and he had every person in the room just give him one word, any word. It didn't matter what the word was. Just throw a word out there, and he wrote the name on the board. He wrote that word on the whiteboard. And then after he'd went through all 40 people, he hand, handed a... Um, pen, marker, whatever, to one of the other classmates, and he says, start marking off words as I use them. And then he just, out of extemporaneously, no preparation or anything, began to just preach, and he used every single word on that whiteboard, and we marked them off. And it took him about 15, 20 minutes. And we just, us young men, 20-some years ago, we just stood there, our eyes were like silver dollars. What a great communicator. And he told us in this uh, ministry class that my freshman year there that when we engaged in ministry with the opposite sex, we needed to use wisdom. He said, if you're counseling a lady, make sure your office door has a window on it. Make sure you leave the door open. Make sure there are other people in the building with you. Always constantly be thinking about this. Don't ever put yourself in a position of compromise. Use wisdom. Do ministry together at times. It's safer that way. Well, my senior year, my, one of my last classes, a, a psychology class, I saved that to the very end, uh, but uh, for obvious reasons, I, probably because I thought I needed it more than just uh, attending the class. But nonetheless, uh, this same uh, professor was brought in. Now, this is just four years later, and he began to speak to the, the class, and he began to say things like, ah, he's so busy now, and he, he's got some counseling to do. He'll just grab the young lady, throw her in the car with him, and they'll just drive around Marion, and he'll do his pastoral counseling with her in the car with him. And he didn't think anything about it. And the professor said to him, um, shouldn't they be a little more careful that way? And he totally dismissed her as just being kind of narrow-minded and, uh, and stuff. And I sat there, and I remember thinking, wow, this is really different than what he told us just three or four years ago. Well, after graduating that following uh, December, we, uh, Kathy and I moved down to Evansville. We were in Evansville for maybe about six months or so. We came in to... Uh, um, church one Sunday morning, the senior pastor at that time pulled us aside and said that this particular professor had been caught coming out of a hotel with another lady. A lot of memories came flooding, flooding back of those four years at college, how he started out so safe, so guarded, so protected, using great wisdom. And then I would say... Pride, arrogance, just kind of slowly drifted, and next thing you know, he was no longer guarded. Sometimes doing ministry together can be a form of protection. It's just smart. And God allows for those opportunities to fish, as it were, together. Ministry, discipleship, evangelism, at times, as I said, must be done together. And let's face it, when it's done together, it can be extremely encouraging. We can spur one another on to good works, as the Apostle Paul says. You ever get tired doing ministry? 
Don't answer that. <laughs> you ever have days when you don't feel like engaging with people? Kathy laughs at me because my idea of a vacation is to get as isolated as we possibly can. No phone, no internet is okay by me. And I joke around, and I've said for years, John will appreciate this, and, uh, but don't say this, John, because it'll get you in trouble. Uh, I said, ministry is great. It's the people that are difficult. So uh, anyway, but, uh, but ministry can be fun, and when it's done together, it can be exciting, and we can encourage one another and spur one another on. And let's face it, who wants to clean the nets alone? Yesterday was a big day at our house. We got up early. It had rained most of the week. So we and all the kids went out and we did some mowing. We did some weed eating, mulching. It was a fun day. And it, and it, was, it was easy because there were, were 10 of us all engaged in this. And uh, not instead of just being me and Kathy. So it was a good day. We had, we had a lot of fun. Now don't ask my kids about that this morning because they will completely destroy this sermon illustration. But many hands make light work. And when you do ministry together, it can be fun. It can be encouraging. The work is still just as hard. But it just is more enjoyable at times. However, we cannot always wait until someone else comes along either. If the Spirit of the Lord is moving, we must be obedient at that moment. So God provides us an example of this in Acts chapter 8 verses 26 and 27, we have the story of Philip. And the, Luke, the writer of Acts, writes, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went. This is one of my favorite passages in all the scripture. The Spirit of God said to Philip, Go. Remember the Great Commission? Therefore, go and make disciples. As you're moving along in life, make disciples. So here was Philip moving along, and the Spirit of God says to him, Go to this desert place. There was no hesitation from Philip whatsoever. No debating. No, look, Lord, that's the middle of the desert. He didn't even ask why. Surely, if the Lord was sending him to the middle of the desert, he would have had the right to ask why. But he doesn't. The Bible says that Philip arose and went. I believe God is longing for simple obedience like this from us. This shows that Philip had immense trust in his Lord. Then in verse 29, we find the word go again. Go near and overtake the chariot. So Philip ran. Remember what Robert Hampshire said? Go, and as you're going along. He heard the eunuch reading from the prophets, and he asked him if he understood what he is, was reading. The eunuch invited Philip to sit with him. So Philip climbed into the chariot, and starting with this verse, shared Christ. So whether we go in a group or we go alone, Jesus tells us, to make disciples. And both are important. Doing it together, but doing it, I say alone, but you're really never alone, are you? It's you and the Spirit of God working in unison together. Point number three, to be a good fisherman requires the proper perspective. God calls us to go. We go alone. We go together at times. And we leave the results to God. I shared earlier that I loved Peter's response. Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. As followers of God, we know that God is the one that brings the catch. There will be days when we catch nothing. We go home empty-handed, as it were. But then there are days where he, we bring them in. We are simply called of God to be obedient. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but by me. It is the Spirit of God that draws men to himself. It is not us. It is not some special program or some trick lure. It is the Spirit of God. Now I have nothing 
against programs. Nothing at all. And I believe we should reach out to people as, with as many ways as we possibly can. But please know, it is God who fills the boat. Peter had toiled all night in his own strength, and if we strive to do it ourselves, we too will end up with the same results as Peter. Jesus said, pray for the harvest is great, but the workers are few. We need to continue to be a praying church. Pray for fishermen, pray for fish, and pray for strong nets and boats when God brings the catch. I believe with all my heart that prayer will bring in more people to the kingdom of God than any program. Am I suggesting the church stop all the programs? No, but please let's not stop praying either. Paul says pray without ceasing. In his book, The Purpose Driven Church, Rick Warren, several, several years ago, probably 20 years ago now, sums up in a very simple way how the church is to interact with the world. He says to look for the waves of God and ride them. Many church growth programs try to manufacture waves, he says. The church is called to recognize the wave of God's spirit moving and then ride it. When you remember that it's God who produces the wave, it really removes a lot of the pressure from pastors and church leaders. This way they can focus on prayerfully just looking for the waves. Rick Warren says he starts each day with this prayer. Now this is 20 years ago. I, I, I don't know if he still prays this way every day or not. But he said in this, in this book that he starts each day with this prayer. Lord, I know you're going to do some incredible things in the world today. Please give me the privilege of getting in on some of it. Isn't that an awesome prayer? If we could just start our day like that, Lord, I know you're going to do some great things today. Let me in on some of it. Let me get involved in, in some of it. We need the Holy Spirit to open our eyes so that we can see what God wants us to see. Pray that we can spot these waves that God is producing. So we pray for more fish, and there are a lot of different kinds of fish in the world. Some are beautiful. Some are not so much, but they come in different shapes and sizes, colors. Honestly speaking, some are just more desirable than others. Philip didn't hesitate to climb into the chariot with this guy, in spite of him being different. He was an Ethiopian eunuch. Why does the Bible tell us this? It... Um, it doesn't change the story one bit if the Bible would have just said there was a guy in a chariot. The point is still the same. Philip was told by the Spirit of God to go. Philip went. Philip heard a guy reading. He asked him what he was reading. The guy invited him into a boat. Why did the Bible tell us that it was an Ethiopian eunuch? I think it's just so we know that there are a lot of different fish out there. A lot of different fish. Different people, different tribes, different nations, different social statuses. All are welcome in the kingdom of God. All can come. Many, many different fish. God has called us to be fishers of men. Our job is simple. We go, we cast our nets where he tells us to cast them. Let them down here. Let them down there. Cast them into the deep. Cast them into the shallow. Jesus showed Peter, James, and John that he knows where the fish are. He is the Lord of the harvest. We are simply called to go, to listen for the Spirit of God to tell us when and where to go. It is not our job to determine which fish we put in the boat and which ones we throw back. As a father, if you've taken your kids fishing before, you, you can relate to this. I, we've taken ours on several occasions. And Lawrence, it always amazes me. They want to keep every single fish. Size means nothing to them or the shape or the collar or even what type 
It is. Oh, you don't want to eat that nasty old carp. We need to throw that thing back. No, they want to take them all home. There's never one that's too small. Oh, if the church had this attitude, amen? We want them all. It doesn't matter the background. It doesn't matter the race. It doesn't matter, matter the social status. It doesn't matter how big or how small or how rich or how poor. We just want them in the boat. What a glorious attitude to have. Revelation says that one from every tribe and every nation, the church that is filled with diversity on earth, on earth is a picture of the church in heaven. Jesus not only provides the power, but he also teaches us. When Jesus called the disciples, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus will make us. This brings a lot of hope for me because it says I don't have to have all the answers, all the skill, all the skill sets for discipleship. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 13 says, Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And he may work in us what is pleasing to him through Christ Jesus. And in John chapter 14, speaking about the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said. Jesus told Peter, James, and John, and he says to us today, I will make you fishers of men. The bottom line here this morning, the rivers, lakes, and ponds are full of fish. We need more fishermen. Discipleship is something we all need to practice. There are people who know that, you have connections, you have relationships with people that I could never reach. And to be honest, there are people who will relate to you better than they will to me. Andy, Andy Stanley, in his book, he, he had a book it's called Go Fish. It's a good book. You should, I encourage you to, to read it. He says that people tend to hide when the pastor comes to visit. I can remember as a small child, my dad worked second shift, my mom worked first shift, and so mom was at home with us during the day by herself, and somebody would come and knock on the door, and we'd have to hide. I don't know why we hid, but mom was just, I don't know, I guess she was, she was afraid. Uh, my mom could shoot a gun really well. I don't know why she was, was ever afraid to answer the door, but we would, uh, we would hide. We'd have to be, be really quiet. Uh, because it might be somebody, somebody at the door and mom would say, are they gone? Are they gone? You know how quiet a kid is when he's running through the house looking out the window to see if whoever it was left again. They knew we were home. And I can't even know as a pastor, there have been times where I would go and I would visit somebody. I'd knock on the door. Nobody would ever answer the door. But I could hear the TV in the house blaring. I knew they were home. So there are people that you know, there are people that you reach, that you can reach, that honestly, Pastor Ben and Pastor Theo can't. Because they're your friends. They're your neighbors. They're people that you know. They're people that you have been called and are being equipped by the Holy Spirit to reach. Fishing is not just for Pastor Theo and Pastor Ben and for our church board members. Fishing is a community project. We are all called to fish. In summary, we must be willing to leave our nets. We must be willing to fish alone, but also as a group. And to be good fishermen requires having the right perspective. Our application point says, so where, we, where do we go from here? We know that Jesus has called us to fish. We know he will make us and equip us to fish. And we have seen examples of fishing alone and fishing as a group. So what's next? Number one, be open to how the Spirit is leading you to fish. You are unique. You have spiritual gifts that others in the body do not have. 
allow the Holy Spirit to use the gifts he has given you to fish. Don't try to be like me. Don't try to be like Pastor Theo. None of us have his deep voice anyway. So don't, don't try to be like Pastor Theo. Be yourself. God has, has equipped and God is equipping you uniquely to reach people for the Lord. Number two, prayerfully seek for opportunities to fish. Let me ask you honestly this morning, don't raise your hand, but have you ever been fishing and after sitting then there for hours with no bite, have you ever found yourself praying for a bite? Just praying to catch one fish so you don't go home empty-handed? I have. As a parent, I've sat on the side of the bank praying earnestly that my kids would catch something, knowing that they're going to want to take it home anyway, but just praying that they would at least have the joy and the excitement of, of catching a fish and being able to, uh, to bring it in. Pray for opportunities. As the body of Christ, prayerfully each day, seek and pray for opportunities to catch fish for the Lord. Because we enjoy the excitement of having something on the other end of the line. Even the smallest can seem like a well sometimes. Fishing is way more fun when you're catching fish, and life is more fulfilling when you're catching people with the gospel, and we are seeing lives change and the church growing when we are riding the waves that God is sending us. Stand with me, please. Father, we just want to thank you this morning for your word. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be fishers of men. And Father, give us wisdom, give us guidance, give us direction. And may we not try to do it, Lord, in our own strength. But may we all be filled and equipped through your Holy Spirit. Open our eyes that we might see. Open our hearts that we might feel and have compassion on those that are lost. And Father, we ask in Jesus' name, send us more fish. In his name we pray, amen.